Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. The shortest verse in the Bible should be a really short sermon, not. When I was nine years old, my mom decided to move to New York, and she moved ahead of us, got an apartment, uh, got all set up, got a job, and then sent for my sister and I. And Maritza and I got on the plane in Puerto Rico with our bags. We followed our directions. As soon as we got off at LaGuardia Airport, We went to the luggage area, picked up our bags, picked up a really big box that they sent with us, managed our way to the side and waited for my mom to pick us up. Uh, I was nine, she was about 13, and as we stood there, um, we waited and waited and waited, and nobody came. And all of a sudden, my sister started getting nervous. She started a bit shaking, and she starts crying. And I'm trying to calm her down because I didn't want to bring attention to us. But that didn't work very well. A woman came up to us, and we were told, don't talk to anyone. Uh, But this woman was very kind, and we were really scared. And so we told her what was going on. And she rummaged through our stuff because we had no phone at the time. And she looked at the box, and there was an address in the box. And she said, don't talk to anyone. I'm going to go get your mom and have her come and pick you up. And she left. And so we were renewed with hope. We thought we're going to be okay. And time passed, and time passed, and time passed, and time passed, and no one came. And so pretty soon, we're back in tears. And uh, one of the security officers noticed us standing there. And so they came, picked us up, and uh, put us on the next plane back to Puerto Rico. Just as my mom arrived at the airport, you see, my mom was given the wrong information. She didn't know that we were arriving that day. She thought we were arriving the next day. So that evening, we were all in a pool of tears. My mom at the airport, as she watched her airplane take off, we were in a pool of tears all the way back from Puerto Rico, separated from one another in deep suffering. The thing we're going to talk about today, suffering, I think is one of those parts of our spiritual journey that makes us feel very alone and isolated right? And as I prepared this series eight weeks ago, and I kind of created uh, through the power of the Spirit, right, praying through, uh, what we were going to talk about each and every week and what passage would fit with it, I, I set up that this week we would be talking about suffering. Little did I know <laughs> what kind of uh, season we would be in this week. Not only as a nation, right, all the things that have gone on Uh, We have a lot of weight. I don't know about you, but I feel like a heaviness in my soul for all that's happening. And uh, as our life group got together this Friday and we had a discussion, we all felt that weight. And not only that, but this week has a a particularly rough week. Uh, My mom lost a dear friend. He passed away this week. And I got to watch her in her struggle. And so it's just suffering is even more acute for me today. And I want us to take a time to lean in. I don't think it's a subject none of us are particularly excited to talk about. Our culture says, hey, look it over, mend it, cover it, you know, ignore it, stuff it. That's usually what we do with suffering. And yet, not all of us so desperately need 
to be comforted. And so what I want us to leave today is a reminder, maybe specifically you're going to need this, is that God comforts us in all of our troubles. That's what God does. I love, Stan, that you led us in a beautiful song in such a beautiful, peaceful way, right? His mercies are new every morning. And so it's my desire that God would shower us this morning with his mercy, that he would just comfort our hearts no matter what we brought in, maybe something you weren't even thinking about, God will lift up in your heart this morning and that you will receive from him, from his loving heart, the very comfort and peace that you need. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. As we go into your word, would you prepare our hearts? Would you help us lean in? Would you help us not be afraid to look at what in our hearts is hurting. For Father, when we do, you meet us there and you seek to comfort us. So Lord, I pray that we would all lean in, hear what you have to tell us, but more importantly, we receive the comfort that you want to give us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your kindness. You're a good, good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let me read the story through for you so you can kind of get the context for this one passage. We're going to be spending our time in that one passage, but I want to take a moment and kind of read a little bit of the backstory so you can kind of understand where we're headed with this, okay? So if you have your Bibles, go if you would to John chapter 11. Uh, we're going to start reading from verse 17 to 37. That's what we're going to read, and we're going to park ourselves on this verse, 35. All right, here's what it says. On his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for 40 days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she sent out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
The story begins actually at the beginning of John chapter 5. The point of the story is that Lazarus was sick. We're told at the beginning that Lazarus was a man that Jesus loved. They had a good relationship. We learn about Lazarus and Martha and Mary uh, earlier in the Gospel of John, a time when Jesus came into their home. You know, you know the story, right? The famous story. Martha's cooking away. Mary comes and sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to him. And Martha has another moment, uh, a little upset that her sister's not helping her in the kitchen. And so we know that they have a relationship with Jesus. And we begin with the story that Lazarus, this dear friend, is sick. The one that you love is sick. Now, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, as we're told in verse 5 and 6, obviously the first thing we would assume is like Jesus jumped from that chair, dropped everything he was doing, and headed out. In fact, he actually rented a chariot so he can get there fairly quickly. Oh, no, wait, Jesus doesn't need a chariot. Hey, he walked on water. He showed up at Lazarus' house and just poof, there he was, right? That's what happened, right? No. We're told Jesus stayed where he was two more days. And so he delays arriving, and it's easy to conclude, wow, Jesus doesn't care. And the disciples don't exactly rush him to come because if you understand the timing... By this time in Jesus' ministry, he had become very well-known. He had done many miracles, and already the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were against him. Chapter 10, if you read it, ends with Jesus having to run for his life. And so he would not, this was not his time to die. He runs away, but now the disciples are like, hey, let's not go back there. Sorry, Lazarus, but let's stay over here where we're safe. Jesus delays for two days. Nobody complains about it, and Lazarus dies. In fact, we find out that Lazarus dies in verse 16, but now Jesus says, let's go. Let's go back to Judea. And of course, the disciples are like, wait, wait, Jesus, are you sure you want to do that? Do you remember how dangerous it was? And Jesus, you know, Lazarus is going to wake up. He was just sick. And Jesus is like, no, he's dead. We're going back. And so they head back to this place, and Martha meets Jesus. I love this. I love how Scripture has a place for every one of us. If you've ever done one of those Myers-Briggs tests that says that we are kind of in two categories of people, some of us lead with our mind, with our thinking, and some of us with our feelings. I don't know which one you are. I'm like the thinking type, so I totally relate to Martha. Martha comes up to Jesus is like, and asks the basic question, if you were here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. It's the same question Mary asks, but I love that Jesus responds according to the way that she thinks. He has a conversation with her. He says, he will rise again. And she's like, I know, I know, I get it. There'll be a day when the resurrection will come. Everything will be okay. But today, I'm in pain, Jesus. And somehow she still finds hope in what he tells her. He goes and gets Mary. Mary asks the exact same question. If you had been here, Lord, this would not have happened. But Mary does it in a different way. We're told in Scripture that Mary comes and she falls to her knees and she weeps. And all the people, we're told a large crowd of people in chapter 12 came with her. All the people coming with her wept. And that whole emotional moment, we see Jesus' heart move also emotionally. 
And we see that he is deeply uh, moved and troubled. Now, if you look at the Greek words for this, it's actually um, someone who is upset and angry, like a righteous anger, like, a, like an indignation. And also, the, so you have the deeply moved, which is sort of this big emotion that comes out, and troubled, and he is weeping. So when we look at today's verse where it says, Jesus wept. Isn't it natural for us at that moment to ask ourselves, wait, why is Jesus crying? Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, who already knew not only that Lazarus was sick, not only that Lazarus died, but that he was going to lift him up back to life only minutes later. Why does Jesus weep? That's the question we're going to look at today. And I want to look at the two people, that way that people respond to him. One group says, oh, isn't that nice? Look how much he loved Lazarus. In other words, look at Jesus, perfectly human. Someone just died, someone he loved. He is showing an adequate emotion, right? But some people, and I'm actually totally partial to them because I think that's how we most of us are when we're suffering. Some people say, now wait a minute. Could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man? Could that guy not keep this guy from dying? So essentially what they're saying, he's pretty much a powerless God. He's going around saying, I am, I am, I am, doing all kinds of miracles. But hey, what happened here? When his very close friend dies, he can't do nothing. And I think that's the question that we ask quite often when we are in deep suffering. God, you could do something. If you care, if you have the power to do something, why aren't you doing anything? Thank you, Jesus, for the few tears, but we want to see a miracle, right? And listen, I know this. I worked as a chaplain at Chalk Hospital. And I know you might not be suffering that way right now, so you may not be asking that question, but there are times in life when the suffering is so deep, we cannot help but ask these questions. And I got to see that as a chaplain. I worked with a woman whose daughter was born with a defective heart valve. You know her cry? Why would God do this to me? I'm a good mother. Why didn't he do this to one of those terrible parents who mistreat their children and give them up for adoption? Why them? Why me? I'm a good mother. That was the cry of her heart. Why would God do this? Another time, we had a family that came um, to Southern California to visit Disney. And they came with their 18-month-old. He had a little bit of the flu over the trip, and they were a little worried about him. So they decided to stay in the room while he recovered. All of a sudden, he started to swell. And they rushed him to Chalk Hospital. It turned out he'd had a leukemia, a very aggressive leukemia. And the father was desperate for some solution. He agreed to the most aggressive type of chemo. And unfortunately, the little 18-year-old boy lost the battle. You could hear the cries of that father outside in the hallway. God, where are you now? In those moments, we asked the biggest questions. This week, as I was actually traveling, I picked up a USA Today. I don't particularly read newspapers, actually. So, but it was there. I read it. And boy, did I get depressed. Anybody do that? Two stories caught my attention. Of course, the front page with all that's been going on. But the, there was a story deeper in. It was a story about a little girl in India, a 10-year-old girl, raped. The parents did not tell her she was pregnant. They 
They waited until the baby was about 35 weeks. They had a C-section, gave the baby away for adoption, and told her little daughter that she had a rock in her stomach. That's what the operation was all about. My heart sunk. (sighs) Could you picture that? I have little grandchildren. I can't. It's just horrific. In those moments, we ask God, where are you? We look at the front page, the violence, the anger, the racism, the, the, the challenges that we're facing, all the rhetoric, all the noise, all the, all the trauma that our nation is dealing with. And you ask yourself, do you not ask this question? We ask God, do something. You have the power. Why aren't you doing something? It's a natural question to ask. Paul knew a lot about suffering. And quite often when we talk about this issue of suffering, when we, when we lean into the reality of suffering, we look at Paul. Because Paul wrote a lot about suffering. In fact, he, he, almost in every letter, he touches upon it, but he really touches on it in Romans. In Romans, he talks about suffering, famous passage we use all the time. You know it, I know it. The idea that suffering produces what? Let me see how well you know it. Perseverance, right? And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And so listen, suffering, we can lean in because something good's going to come out of it. Or Romans 8 that says, oh, God works out all things to the good. Does that really work when you t- think about a 10-year-old child going through that? Now, it's not that Paul did not understand that kind of suffering. Paul knew suffering. You look at 2 Corinthians, a letter that talks a lot about suffering. Because Paul has to even tell us how much he suffered. His letters were intended to help the churches who were dealing with tremendous persecution. Time and time again, people were being killed for their faith. He was trying to encourage them to stay strong in the faith. That being, being persevering through all of the persecution, yes, produced character, produced hope. Not just for them, but for others. And in 2 Corinthians... The chapter that I think talks a lot about suffering. There is a point where Paul tells the followers, listen, there is a sweetness in persevering through suffering. And he begins to boast about his weaknesses. Now, who does that? Right? Who boasts about our weaknesses? He begins to say, let me tell you about the weaknesses. Let me tell you about the suffering that I have dealt with. And how it is that I deal with that. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving in us an eternal glory that far away outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul, in the midst of all his suffering, he has a different perspective. If you read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives us a list of his suffering. Quite fascinating when you think about it. He was in prison. He was flogged. He was beaten five times by 40 lashes, minutes from death. He was pelted with stones, shipwrecked. Eight times he tells us he was in danger. In danger from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews, from Gentiles, from the city, from the country. Uh, He was in danger in the sea and in danger from false believers. He labored and toiled. He was without sleep. He hungered. He thirsted. At one point, he says he was cold and naked. 
Paul knew suffering, and yet he says, he boasted, he says, he counted on what Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Quite often, when we talk about suffering, we go to these passages. But I want you to notice something. Although Paul talks about suffering throughout his letters, although he gives encouragement to push through, all that is good, I'm not denying it. He doesn't talk about the suffering of every day. He doesn't talk about the suffering that comes through cancer or the suffering that comes from relational challenges or the suffering comes when a a person loses themselves through the awful disease of Alzheimer's. He doesn't talk about the suffering of violence and racism. He doesn't talk about the suffering that comes from uh, bullies and and people who just want to do nothing but destroy. He doesn't talk about that everyday suffering. If Paul were here today, you know what he would say to us? He would point us back to John 11.35. He would say to us, for that suffering, brothers and sisters, Jesus wept. For that suffering, you need to lean and trust in Jesus. For that suffering, you need to see that God is a good and righteous God. God created the world to be in perfect unity, for us to live in perfect unity with our Lord. And he wanted us to be in relationship for eternity. Sin enters into the world. Our rebellious nature enters into the world. And there, all sorts of evil illnesses All sorts of damage comes into the world. And God is a just God. He's not going to ignore evil. He's not going to overlook it. He's not going to wash over it. We can't do that. God can't do that. Let your mind run for a little bit. Let me give you a little license to be a little righteous judge. Are you good with this? For a second here, just just entertain this. Just think for a minute what you would like to do to the people who are violent this week. What you think these people deserve, the ones who drove cars through piles of people. If you were the judge and you had to decide what to do about these terrible things that are going on, can you think of a punishment or two? Come on, I know I can. God is a just God. He does do something about evil. And the thing that is most remarkable is that for every evil, For every violent act, for every lie, for every shame, for every pain, God put the punishment deserved for those things upon his own son. His son paid the price, not just for then, but today and the future, for every evil. For every act of mankind, everything you and I have done or will do was put upon Jesus. Jesus gave it all so that evil once and for all could be defeated. You know, my mom had to put every dime she had to try to buy a ticket back for us from Puerto Rico, to try to bring us back together. She had to give it all so that we can 
come back and be in unity. Jesus, he gave it all so that we can be back in communion with God. That's what he did. That's the God we serve. And when we see him weeping, when we see him suffering the most horrific type of suffering on the cross, abandonment, physically brutalized, emotionally abandoned, shut out from the presence of God, we are reminded this is why Jesus wept. He stands before the tomb. He weeps for Martha. He weeps for Mary. He weeps for all the Jews who are around, weeping and wailing. He weeps for Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days. Now listen, after 72 hours, without any type of embalmment, the body breaks down dramatically, which is why they were telling Jesus, don't don't open that tomb. It's going to be a very smelly thing, guaranteed. He weeps for Lazarus because Lazarus has experienced what God never intended for us to experience. That was never God's plan. And he weeps for all the people around who would still deny God and his grace for us. He weeps for all the people of all time who won't be dead for four days. They will be living in eternal damnation because they say yes. I mean, they say no to the mercy and the grace that God wants to offer. Jesus wept for all of that. He weeps. He wept for the pain he was going to suffer. We read in in the story that when he was in the garden, he was sweating like blood. Sweats of blood was coming down from him because the pain he was going to suffer was who Jesus weeps. Jesus understands suffering. And he cares about something much more than that. He cares about our physical suffering. He cares about our emotional suffering. He cares about our psychological suffering. But he cares more about our eternal suffering. You know, you look at the stories of all the miracles that Jesus did. He healed the crippled man that was brought down by four friends and before Jesus. But before he did that, what did he do? He forgave his sins. The woman who touched his robe, who had been bleeding for 12 years, got the physical healing, and she was leaving thinking, I got what I wanted. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. He stops her because he wants to assure her that her faith has brought her eternal healing. We see Jesus when he heals a child and brings the child back to life. He tries to get everyone around to trust that God brings eternal healing through faith in Jesus. You see, he cares more about that. That type of healing is much more powerful than our temporary, like Paul says, our temporary problems. Yes, they're huge to us. Every drop of tear that we drop, it's like acid to our soul. God knows that when we're suffering, it feels like forever, doesn't it? It may be a momentary season, but every day, every moment feels like it will never end. That's why Jesus pauses He doesn't just go and open that tomb and get it over and done with. He pauses and he weeps because he knows, he knows how much it hurts. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.